Hi, I'm April. And I'm Sam. And welcome to Current Climate. Join us each week as we learn more about what we can do to help the natural world with small changes and big actions. Welcome back to Current Climate. This is our eighth episode. We're going to start things off by talking about our challenge from this past week, which was eating vegetarian for a week. How'd it go, April? The intention was there. You know, it, so, okay, it went pretty well. Um, we did eat at my boyfriend's mom's house one night, and she made steak. So we ate that steak, and let me tell you, it was delicious. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, we were pretty good about sticking to the vegetarian thing. Um, what helped was like right at the start of the challenge, I made like a big container of pasta salad, really healthy mm. pasta salad, tomatoes, peppers, peas, onions. Oh, that sounds good. Um, yeah. And just like Italian dressing and then, you know, tricolor rotini because that's the best. Um, yeah, I know. I, I've got favorite pastas, you know, I feel like people do. Yeah, well, I don't. Okay. <laughs> no, you definitely do because nothing beats a bow tie. I disagree strongly. Oh my gosh, bow tie pasta! It's the texture, the size, the shape. It's so cute. Bow tie pasta is the perfect pasta. The tricolor rotini is the best pasta salad pasta. Everything sticks to it. It's great. <laughs> um, so we we made like a big batch of that, and that was good for like lunches, um, for snacks, just for kind of like filling in. So that was no meat and no dairy in that, which we were pretty proud of. Um, and then we kind of like, this kind of encouraged me to try more veggie alternatives or like whatever. We made spaghetti squash one night. <laughs> so okay. Like, not necessary, but I have the pasta salad. How much pasta can I eat? We made spaghetti squash with like just a jar of marinara. So that was super easy. Um, and then, I mean, salads have been super easy too. It's just like, you know, they're less filling without the protein, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So we ate larger salads. Um, How was that? Did you feel like a cow? Like yeah, chopping absolutely. away forever. <laughs> you know, every time I eat a salad, and I'll, just about every time I eat a salad that has like greens in it more than lettuce, I remember how my ex-boyfriend would call any sort of salad rabbit food. And I've always liked salad. But every time I'd get a salad somewhere, someone would get a salad, he'd be like, oh, rabbit food. What? <laughs> That's... <laughs> So weird. Only rabbits eat lettuce. It's just a fact. Look it up. (laughs) Just a fact. We're not meant to eat vegetables. That's rabbit food. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But so, yeah, a lot of salads. The only thing I will say is that I had wanted to use this week to try more meat and dairy alternatives. Mm -hmm. Not like fake hot dogs or fake burgers or anything but like um I see on Chopped a lot or cooking shows that people take walnuts and can make them into like a meat sauce texture Mm -hmm. 
or even like it's not meat, but you mentioned, I think, cashews for cheese. Yeah. Or like nutritional yeast as cheese. Um, or just like tofu in general. I wanted to try some of those things. And just not enough dinners and not enough willingness to cook in the first place. Mm-hmm. Salads, man. <laughs> They're so easy. That's true. Although, actually, yeah. I'm, I guess I'm impressed in a way because sometimes what stops me from eating a salad is, like, I need to get all the components out and put them together. Like, do you mix your salad and keep it mixed, or do you make, like, a, your own personal salad each time? So what we did is, so it would kind of be, because it was going to be a lot of salads. We're mainly working from home, so salad is, like, a lunch thing, too. We, like, had different containers of the ingredients prepared. All you had mm-hmm. to do was put them together. So, like, if you wanted black beans and corn in it, like... Ooh, that sounds yes. good. There's your Ooh. protein. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I love that. And you can put, like, regular salsa or fresh chopped tomatoes in it, whatever. So good. Um, but so if we wanted that, we just took out those ingredients. Uh, and we had the... We put the rest back so we had them prepped for the next time. Or... Um, sometimes just like your typical tomato, cucumber, onion thing. Mm-hmm. So we had like little dishes of those chopped up too. Nice. So I tried to make it as easy as possible between the salad prepping and the pasta salad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to like stick with this because it is so easy in the summer to fall back on grilled hot dogs. That's true. I, I love hot dogs. I do too. That's snap when you bite yeah. into them. It's something Ugh, about it. So good. I will say when I was a pescatarian, I think we got like tofu hot dogs and I think they were fine. I mean, it's been like a decade, but um, I do remember just being very cool with those. It was, it, I remember it being harder to find a good burger replacement. I mean, now with the really incredible meat alternatives they're making. So many options. Yeah. It's so much easier. But like when I was a pescatarian, it was like Boca burgers and like black bean burgers and it, it just didn't really do the same thing. The closest honestly was a portobello burger where it's like the big mushroom. Love. That's delicious. Even when I started eating beef again, sometimes I'd get that at a restaurant just cause it's so good. <laughs> I guess my only thing was that like I could have tried more of those. Those things can be a little bit more expensive. True. Um, but also when it's like, plants made to be like meat, I just feel like the processing has to be pretty intensive. Yeah. I I don't know the details of that, but I would imagine as well. Yeah. But it's like, like also how processed is a chicken patty? Like if you got a <laughs> fake chicken patty versus a chicken patty. That's an excellent point. Like hot dogs. Okay. Right. <laughs> What's the difference between one sodium stick made from a pig and a sodium stick made from a plant? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess it. I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so this was probably yeah. pretty easy for you, right? Like you've done this before. You and your husband always kind of mixed in veggie, veggie meals. Yeah, it was to an extent, but I was surprised by one thing that I was driving home from work and I was like, I want something easy. Like I was a little hungry. My dinner 
like didn't hold me over enough. And I was like, I'm hungry. I want something easy, a snack. And we buy frozen chicken patties and like make our own McChickens at home because otherwise we will be in that McDonald's drive through five out of seven days <laughs> of the week. So we've been doing that, which has been great. Like, I think it's definitely saved us money. And it also makes us acknowledge like, oh, I don't feel like putting that together. I guess I don't want a McChicken because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so easy to go through the drive through Well, anyway, I really wanted that. And I was like, oh, right. We're not eating meat this week. Okay. And then I, I did have that conversation with myself. Like, would it be harmful to restrict eating that chicken patty? And then I started to think about like what else would hit this spot. And I ended up coming home and making a quesadilla with refried beans in it. Like I really wanted refried Ooh, beans. And that sounds like, amazing. Yeah, it was really good. Like the cheese and the beans got all melty together. And then like the outside was crispy. So I ate that with some salsa and I was like, good, satisfied. And I was proud of myself for finding something that like was satisfying my protein craving. And I didn't do the chicken patty, but it also was like an issue. I was like, well, if I really want to eat the chicken patty, I'll eat it. And then I was able to find an alternative. So that was cool. Um, That's good. Yeah. Cause this yeah. is not like, we're not approaching vegetarianism as a diet thing. We're right. not looking at it like, oh, this is like necessarily so much healthier and like whatever. No, we're looking at it like for the planet purposes, mm -hmm. less meat in your diet is better. So like, you know, right. sometimes if, if you need a McChicken, Eat your McChicken, fine. right? Eat your McChicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as soon as you introduce really strict food rules, that's when people become very obsessive dieting. And if you're more... And that's the thing that can be a little nerve wracking with removing meat from your diet, like removing dairy or, or, or eggs or what have you, because if you're too strict about it, it could be really familiar to an unhealthy diet that you did before where you're like starving yourself and you were afraid to eat bread. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I'm always like self-care because it's a slip. It can be a slippery slope um, if you're not approaching it in the right way with the right level of leniency and if you're not doing it for the right reasons like you're saying like it's it's like not about me and my body and my health you know it's about the planet and so then it and then I'm not all up in my head trying to analyze everything you know like I found this so much easier than any diet <laughs> I have done in the past you know <laughs> that's a great way to put that I love it I guess I'll tell you about the other things I eat this week besides my quesadilla um, I had already been planning a vegan meal actually when you suggested eating vegetarian. So I was like, sweet. Um, because it's this like, it's a vegan poke bowl. So it, it's almost nothing like a poke bowl actually, but, um, it looks like one because you put watermelon, mango, and avocado in it. And all three of those fruits were on sale recently. So I had watermelon already and then I bought mango and avocado on sale and I was like, we're doing it. So this was a bowl. It had quinoa, cabbage, tofu, like I said, uh, mango, watermelon, avocado, and then this like delicious lime almond butter sauce that is like Ooh. so good. I want to put on ice cream, but it's also savory. It has like soy sauce in it. So I'm like, what is happening in my brain? <laughs> um, and so then you just like mix it all together and it's essentially a salad. Another night, I like didn't know what to do, and we were out of cheese because of my quesadilla. 
So I actually <laughs> made a vegan nacho cheese sauce with cashews. Um, it was pretty simple. I have like one of those bullet blenders that like blends things up pretty easy. So you soak cashews in hot water and then you add nutritional yeast, lemon, hot sauce, salt and pepper. I feel like that was it. Maybe garlic. And then you just blend it up. And it genuinely is enough like cheese that when you're mixing it with other things, it like satisfies that cheese craving. So I put that on um, some gnocchi and added tomatoes and peppers. I think that's, oh, and cannellini beans. Cause I was like, I'm gonna be hungry if there's no beans. <laughs> like that was the <laughs> tricky thing. Like sometimes I'll throw frozen meatballs into something like that. Like I'm just making it up on the spot. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, I gotta think outside the box. <laughs> so beans <laughs> was the solution. And then um, my husband and I made pizzas for lunch one day. So like a, just a cheese pizza and then like a margarita pizza. Those are vegetarian. That was pretty cool. And like, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I feel like that's it. <laughs> oh, he made um, pasta primavera last night. So yeah, it, I, was, I said at the beginning of the week, last episode, I was like, I'm going to try new recipes. And I ended up not trying any new recipes. <laughs> But it was good to see that we do already know some stuff that's vegetarian already or even vegan, and we can turn to those if need be. Yeah, if you did not have to look those things up, I'm majorly impressed. Because, like, I think if I had, if I was committing to this for more than one week, pasta salad and regular salad is getting old fast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely... But I don't know anything else. Right. You ha- you definitely would have to do some research. And I remember when I first moved out, I this was a, too strict of a rule, just a disclaimer. I made this very strict rule that two of my three meals every day were going to be vegan. And I, I had to do tons of research to find recipes. Um, and then I stopped doing that because that wasn't sustainable for my like lifestyle. <laughs> Yeah, there's there are things out there. It's just that at first it is gonna be a process. Uh, moving on, we're gonna go to a grab bag where we reach into the bag of environmental topics and I talk about whatever the heck I want. <laughs> um, <laughs> so today, you know, I read this article that I just thought was so interesting because I'm personally all about balance balancing environmental issues with human needs, economic needs, but still like trying to do stuff that's good for the planet. Balance is my whole deal. So when I read this headline, it really stuck with me. Um, It says, what if a green economic recovery isn't the best thing for the climate? Now, (laughs) yeah, right. And I actually think based on everything else the article says, they don't make the case for that title at all. So I was kind of like, whatever. That's why I didn't want to make it a bait gate because it doesn't even come back to the title. Really? Really? Oh my gosh. That's a, yeah. that's a major clickbait. <laughs> that's like you get, cl- you click and you're redirected to three different websites. Like they all pop up at once. Right. Well, so it asks this question, what if the green economic recovery isn't the best thing for the climate? And then it like, what the article actually addresses is whether or not green economic recovery is the best thing for the economy. Oh. 
<laughs> so like obviously it would be the best thing for the climate and they don't really get into that um so basically what this talks about is like before covid 2020 bc as we call it um <laughs> there, there were a bunch of like environmental policies on the table things were going pretty good, you know, in the United States economically so that people felt like they could focus more on climate justice. But COVID happens, all of that gets tabled, um, and thoughts turn towards economic relief and a stimulus plan and unemployment and all these other newly pressing issues. Mm -hmm. Um, But advocates, lawmakers wanted to make sure that um, some of the trillions of dollars that were going to be used for this economic relief would go towards green industries like solar, wind, um, just green electricity to try and stimulate the economy through boosting those jobs Mm -hmm. as opposed to like fossil fuels. So that's where the real gist of this article comes into play. There are two sides, two questions that it asks. One side is the the best path forward is the one that gets the economy back on track the fastest. Okay. You know, no matter if it's green. So if it's green, if it's not, whatever's best for the economy is the way to go. You know, these people also probably say, whether some people die in the process whether you know some (laughs) people still have COVID and it spreads the best way forward is whatever is best for the economy right not best for people best for money right um and then the other side of it is we have this opportunity to invest this money into a low carbon future Mm-hmm. whatever the stimulus is we're going to feel those impacts for years why shouldn't it go towards an, an environmental industrial you know uh, revolution improvement low carbon future so those are the kind of the two sides who cares you know whether it's environmental or not we need the economy on track or if we have to get the economy on track anyway we might as well do it in an environmentally friendly way an improvement on what we're doing already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this article looks <laughs> towards Europe um, and all those countries, all those people doing well. Um, and it's a totally different story. So those countries already have like carbon training where you, you know, can buy your way out of being a, a carbon emitter or like they've got these net zero targets, they've got these goals and they've got these plans on how to reach net zero carbon emissions. Um, Like Europe's killing it. And then when they had to, when those countries and the European Union had to come up with a stimulus program, climate was at the forefront and they had people zoning in on environmental elements of the stimulus package over there. So. Uh, it makes a lot of sense that they're doing well in their climate-friendly policies. And then you come back to the United States. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And this article talks about how the U.S. hasn't passed comprehensive climate legislation um, since the Recovery Act of 2009. 
Oh and that gosh. put, yeah, and that put ninety billion into renewable energy, um, and boosted wind and solar power. So that was good. Uh, ninety billion when we're talking about ten trillion today in a stimulus package. Um, you know, it's it's really not that large of a chunk. Mm-hmm. It was a good effort. It, the money was focused on expanding clean energy and innovation, but where the U.S. really failed was that they didn't have any policies to ensure that those technologies would be used. They didn't subsidize them. They didn't make it business friendly. They didn't make it mandatory. So even though we had all this clean energy and innovative like investment, there was nothing to make people use it. And, you know, so that was 2009. So that was Obama administration. People know that if you just wait until the next administration, you're probably not going to have to use these like more carbon neutral technologies anyway. Mm-hmm. So just wait it out. <laughs> now the U.S., um, a lot of people are citing that 2009 um, that it, uh, act that it didn't lower carbon emissions without acknowledging that it was because there was no legislation or mandate to use it. Um, and now we're in this totally different situation where people are unemployed. The economy is doing better, but individuals are not. Mm-hmm. Um, and studies have shown that public support for environmental protection dips when unemployment is high. People have way more to worry about right. than large global, you know, overarching environmental issues. Yeah, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, if you are going to be evicted from your apartment, you're not going to worry about the fishing industry. Right. And so then there's concern in politics that, like, if people push too hard for climate-friendly, you know, stimulus bills, um, they might not be able to have that same political capital when it comes to other things, immigration, healthcare, and future elections, which is what everybody's concerned about now. If they're up for election, you don't want to lose it to the conservatives or the Democrats. You don't want anyone, you know, regaining control in one house. So people are afraid to push big items because they don't want to lose their seat. And so the article also includes that Joe Biden unveiled a $2 trillion proposal for restoring the economy if he's elected. Um, And his slogan is uh, to build back better from the crisis, which I think is kind of cute. It's like a way better version of make America great again. Right. Build back better with all people at the table. Yeah, it's acknowledging that things were never great. And that, like, improvements can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So part of his plan is uh, trying to get rid of all emissions from the electricity sector by 2035, um, creating a million new jobs in electric vehicles and um, charging station infrastructure and all of that. And so, like... Here's someone that is making it an issue at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And I actually think, so this article says, like I said, if you're worried about putting food on the table or paying rent, you're not going to care about these things. If you're unemployed, 
you're not going to care about these things. But we've also seen that Black Lives Matter has had this opportunity to really gain momentum because people have had the free time to focus on things. Mm-hmm. And there have been a lot of really great parallels between the two movements, climate justice and Black Lives Matters, and a lot of times where they come together, because we've talked previously about how uh, you know minorities are going to be the ones most affected and first affected by climate change. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure, or I think things might get so bad that people have no choice but to support equality racial equality and climate equality this is we're kind of like at this weird pause like nothing's actually pausing but it gives us an opportunity to kind of reflect on how things have been and COVID has shown how america is not set up very well and there's like opportunities for improvement so you know hopefully people make that connection and realize the way forward is to think about the long term of the country and the planet not just this next year because when it's something global it's like you need to think globally in time and like the scale of time too i feel right absolutely and if you're going to think about it like you know this article tries to make it into make climate into an economic issue well so okay we've got covid crazy unemployment lots of deaths a lot of industries affected you compound that with hurricane season and homelessness i mean it's just gonna double down its impact on the economy it's just gonna be that much worse so the smart economic move is to build in these protections for all people and to be more environmentally friendly and sustainable going forward Next up today, we have a bait gate. This is when I'm going to share a title of an article to April that she hopefully knows nothing about and has never seen before. She's going to tell me what she thinks it's about, and then I will fill her in on what I learned from it. So the article in question is from Time Magazine, and it is called, Why This Year is Our Last Best Chance for Saving the Oceans. I love the drama that that inspires. (laughs) Um, When I hear of people complaining or like talking about ocean issues, I always think it's, it comes back to plastic. Um, So I don't know. People always say by some year there will be more plastic than fish in the ocean. Is this that year? Did we reach the year? I can't reveal too much at this point. I need to hear more. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So that's, that's guess number one. More fish. No. More plastic than fish in the ocean. Um, guess number two as to why this is the last year to save our oceans. That's what it is, right? That's the title. Yeah. That last was the best chance or yeah. whatever. Um, Okay, Times Magazine is holding the ocean for ransom. (laughs) And if we don't pay it, if we don't pay this ransom, Time Magazine is going to end the ocean. That's my second guess. 
I like that guess because now I'm going to reveal more information um, because it honestly does work as a metaphor. Um, not Time Magazine, <laughs> but just like the planet oh, and humans. I know you did, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> now this is what it's about. Not Time Magazine holding the ocean ransom, more like climate change and humans holding the ocean ransom. And if we don't pay up by investing in all these things, <laughs> like lots and lots of money, we're not going to have the ocean anymore, essentially. But let me backtrack <laughs> a little bit because that, I didn't know that metaphor was going to fall into my lap. Um, <laughs> the other thing that's funny is that you mentioned they always say, oh, this is the year there's going to be more plastic and then fish. They do mention that, but the year in question is 2050. That's the prediction. Oh, okay. Well, that's something at least. Right. We still have a little time to make things right. So what's really funny is you talked about an article that had a misleading title. This article also has a misleading title. I feel like less so, certainly. Um, but that's why I did choose it as clickbait. You wouldn't think Time Magazine would be clickbaity. But in this sense, they don't really prove that this year is the best last chance. I think that that title would really stress me out. I would actually be less likely to click on the article. I only clicked on it because I'm doing a podcast. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you got to um, do it. Yeah, I would be too stressed out under normal circumstances to expose myself to the time pressure. But like you were saying, like it didn't really make the case for that as well as it could have. It did make it clear that we need to act soon. Um, but there, there's not necessarily anything special about 2020 in particular. Not to say we should wait around for 2021, but like, you know, it wasn't like 2020 is the magic year. <laughs> <laughs> However, this year was going to have a lot of potential because in March, there was supposed to be a negotiation um, with, to do a UN treaty to save the oceans, essentially. And that got postponed because of coronavirus. So there was like, this plan for 2020 that got derailed. So I think that yeah, might well, be- we all had plans for 2020 that got derailed. Yes, we did. Guys, my wedding got canceled. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, they're not alone in that. Um, <laughs> but so I think that's why they're really stressing the year. Um, but ultimately my takeaway from this was it gave some good evidence as to why the ocean is in trouble why we need the ocean and how we can move forward to prevent more harm from the ocean and recover. So part one, evidence of human harm. <laughs> <laughs> so they did a really good job of hitting at home that um, humans are messing up the environment and the ocean. Um, so first example they give is in 2015, there was a marine heat wave that hit Eastern Australia. It wiped out a third of the Great Barrier Reef, and it killed a lot of kelp forests in the area. Kelp is really good at eating up CO2 and producing oxygen, so concerning. Biodiversity in coral reefs is important for the interconnected web of life, also important. Stuff um, about coral reefs makes me so sad. Me because too. Because they're, they, they're absolutely beautiful. And then when climate change, when the water heats up, they lose all their color and when they die. And so they just become like gray shells of their former selves. Yeah. And will I ever be 
wealthy enough to go and see them while they're colorful? I don't know. Well, here's hoping we can turn here's things hoping. around <laughs> <laughs> so that you can. Um, and also, uh, if anyone would like to donate to April's GoFundMe, <laughs> get her to a coral reef. <laughs> get me to a coral reef. <laughs> So, like I mentioned, those kelp forests, um, they were on the east of Tasmania, and nearly 95% of them have died. Oh, my gosh. Concerning. Um, so, other bad things because of CO2 rising. Isn't this cheerful? Okay. Um, <laughs> the ocean has become more acidic, which threatens food change. Warming waters kill sea life, and they also change the currents in the water, and they affect global weather patterns that we have come to know and love and count on. Hmm, we also, that's interesting. Yeah, so currents have a lot to do with our weather. So we talked about this a few podcasts ago. Or actually, I'm not sure if I kept it in or not, <laughs> um, but we were talking about politicians showing snow to prove that global warming is not a thing but it's like at some point maybe there won't be snow <laughs> like because that's weather not climate but climate right. change could will impact our weather as well um things outside of climate change that is also human related we dump eight million tons of waste into the ocean each year and then there's agricultural and industrial runoff that poisons coastal areas um, and then they also include that fun tidbit about overfishing. So that was all fun. Um, <laughs> just happy thoughts, guys. We're going to move through this. We're going to move through this. <laughs> so, la okay, last sad thing. Um, Stony Brook College in New York did a study where they went down south somewhere. I forget where. And they were studying penguins and keeping track of their populations year to year and these particular penguins exclusively eat krill and they have found that the colonies of these penguins have declined over the past 50 years some by half and others up to 77 percent so without studying krill specifically they're able to infer a lot about the food supply because it's easier to go on land and find penguins so I like that because, I mean, I don't like that, but I like that because <laughs> um, it shows ingen ingenuitive ways that scientists can study things. And it's also like very clear of the consequences of one species dying off um, and how that can affect another species. That is so sad, though. I also really like a good penguin. Right. And you know what? That's also why I want to include it. I want everyone to picture a penguin when they think about climate change. That is your mascot for changing the world. <laughs> stuff like that gets stuff done. Cute it animals. It really does. The drives people. Yeah, the straw in the sea turtle's nose. Boom. No one wants straws anymore. So just think about penguins. Okay. <laughs> so that was sad but we're leaving behind the evidence of human harm and we're going to talk a little bit about why we need the ocean i mean i'm sure we all have guesses um i like going to the beach so that alone is a good enough reason for me um <laughs> but four in ten humans rely on the ocean for food 
marine life produces 70% of our oxygen, which is like, dang, but that's a lot. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause the ocean is huge, but like, you don't see the ocean every day. I see trees every day. I'm like, oh yeah, trees. They're doing all the hard work, but no, it's a lot of algae and kelp and things that are growing in the ocean. Um, 90% of global goods travel via shipping lanes in the ocean. Well, related to me liking to go to the beach, ocean-based tourism in the U.S. alone is worth $124 billion a year. There's oh my that, gosh. Yeah, there's that economy thing coming in where it's like it's in your best interest to protect the planet because you can make money off the planet <laughs> <laughs> when it's doing well, when it's not ugly, sad, dead coral reefs, but instead it's beautiful, thriving, gorgeous, biodiverse coral reefs. It's like money. There's your potential. Another reason why we need the ocean, climate change is hurting the ocean, but the ocean helps prevent climate change from getting worse. So over the past century, the ocean has observed 93% of the heat trapped in the atmosphere by greenhouse gas emissions. 93%. Like if we were just a dry dust ball planet, we would be feeling this heat so much sooner. (laughs) And then coastal habitats, Um, like mangroves and salt marshes are good carbon sinks. They eat up that CO2 from the atmosphere and they sequester as much CO2 per acre as 18 acres of pristine Amazonian rainforest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which, what? (laughs) I know the Amazon gets a lot of credit. It does. It should. They deserve it. Yeah you know, doing some hard, good work for the planet. But yeah, where's, where's the love for the salt marshes? So I did end up really liking this article um, because it has a positive light at the end of the tunnel message because it would be one thing to just be like, hey, humans, you suck. Look at all this bad stuff that you did. And then end the article. And then we all go home and cry about penguins and salt marshes and et cetera. But Instead, um, they do highlight the work of two different, what's like a team of scientists and then a single scientist and some ideas they have for saving the ocean and actually ways that the ocean can help save us globally with climate change. So I'm already thinking of that bumper sticker where it says, who saved who, you know, but instead of a rescue dog, in this case, it's us in the oceans. Who saved who? That is such a great idea. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Nobody would understand it. Right, but it's a good talking point in case someone reruns you. (laughs) So two scientists, Callum Roberts and Carlos Duarte, published a journal article in Nature, which is one of like the most esteemed science journals out there. Um, they just did this recently. They offer ideas of how the ocean could be restored within a generation. So the measures would cost billions of dollars a year, but they say that the return on that investment would be 10 times as high because of increased biodiversity, fish, fishing, jobs and tourism, etc. So if we put that money in to help the ocean the ocean will give us food and fun 
and sun and all that good stuff. Okay. So another scientist, Enric Sala, uh, developed a project called Pristine Seas Project, and he has rallied governments to set aside 5.7 million square kilometers of coastline and ocean um, as marine parks. So that's where fishing, dumping, mining, and other destructive industries are prohibited. So very similar to a national park on land, this is a marine park in the water where that area is safe. Um, so he says that even just doing that, the 5.7 million square kilometers, the results have been really great. Um, he saw depleted fish populations grow sixfold, kelp flourish, okay. and coral reefs bloom. Those are, that's the word the author of this article used. So he concludes that the ocean has an extraordinary ability to regenerate. So if we give the ocean a chance, it will bounce back. Um, so Sala says that only 2.5% of the ocean has full protection, that it needs to bounce back. Um, he is part of a group that wants us to set aside a third of the ocean to be protected in these marine parks. One of the final thoughts from this article is that the ocean can provide as much as one-fifth of the carbon emission reductions needed to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. So we have this source to help us here on land if we help it. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, I really like well, so I guess I wish it had been laid out a little bit more, like, what what the money's really going to, right? Because you said in the beginning, uh, it, it's, you give some billions of a year. Yeah, $10 billion. Um, what is it? Whoa. So is that, like, enforcement mechanisms to keep this water protected? Is that a cost that we can eliminate at some point? Yeah, so that is, so basically there's two thoughts that are put out. There's the Nature article, which proposes the 10, billion, 10 billions of dollars a year. And then there's Sala's perspective, which is protecting a third of the ocean. Okay. Um, so unfortunately, this article doesn't go too much into the Nature article, so I don't know a lot of specifics of that. Um, but I'm glad that it highlights at least like, yeah, there could be a potential for a big investment, but in the long run, everyone would profit. The article does have some sections where it talks about um, ways we can use wind turbines in the ocean that are less harmful to the ocean. And they also talk about uh, mining. They talk about changing the human diet um, like we did this week, you know, turning to the ocean for food and not eating beef. Um, oh, wow, though. So there's a lot of suggestions in here. Yeah, so like... there's definitely a lot. Wow, I think that's great. Well, again, not great, but like, I like that there is an optimistic ending to it or a path forward. Okay, now on to this week's challenge. I have no idea what we're going to do. Give it to me, Sam. Plot twist, this is going to be a two-week challenge because April and I are going to take a week off. You will not get a new episode on July 25th, but you can expect the next episode, our ninth episode, August 1st. 
because we're going to be off for a week, I wanted a challenge that was a little bit more relaxed, um, something that would make sense to do over the course of two weeks. And we wouldn't have to think about too, too much. And so my idea is for us to replace anything we run out of with a more sustainable option in our home. Oh, I like that. Sweet. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I'm trying to think of what I'm low on to see if it applies to me. <laughs> right. That's fair. And there's a chance we wouldn't run out of anything. So I guess if that's the case, we'll do homework <laughs> and we will come back to class with a product <laughs> that we plan on buying when we do run out of something. So for example, um, I did buy more sustainable sponges. I actually am not done using my plastic sponges yet. Um, so I could have waited a little longer, but I was excited and I was like, I'm almost done. So I did buy them. But if say in this example, I just came back and was like, hey, I found these sponges. They're a similar price. They're more sustainable. I'm going to buy them someday. I feel like that would count if that makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, um, it's not more sustainable to buy something you don't need. Very true. What other, what other examples do you have? Sure. So I have slowly over the past several years made more sustainable purchases. Um, some examples, my, one of my most recent was I got a safety razor. Um, until then I was using plastic disposable razors, like the two blade cheapest ones you can get in any store. And a safety razor is like what my grandpa used when he was a young gentleman. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's metal. You have an actual razor blade that you put in it. Um, but instead of doing like a shave with a knife, that's why they're called safety razors, because the alternative at that time was like taking a knife to your face. Oh my um, god. Yeah. <laughs> so it you secure the razor blade in it and then you can shave. I I mean it is kind of like learning to ride a bike again in a way, because I'm like, oh, I can nick myself a little more easily. But um, it's a very smooth shave. I'm very happy with it. I bought a beautiful rose gold metal one. It's so cute. I love it. So I want to take good care of it. So that's an example. So that did cost me, I believe, $32. So it's like an upfront investment. But the actual razor blades that you need to replace it, it's like a 10-pack for like $1.50. Like it's so Yeah, cheap. and it's not plastic handles. Exactly. Up. Exactly. Not that I think I'm maybe making that change anytime soon. Right. But that's just an example. And I'm really excited about it because it's so pretty and bougie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> other examples. Um, for Christmas, I received beeswax wraps to use instead of foil or saran wrap or plastic wrap rather on um, bowls. I most typically use them to wrap up my bagel that I eat in the car on the way to my 6 a.m. shift every Thursday <laughs> um, because I used to always use foil for that. But if every week that's a piece of foil that I didn't really need to use. Um, so I've liked those. And then I more recently I got Stasher bags. That is a brand name. Um, they're silicone like Ziploc bags. Ziploc is a brand name. Look at me. Um, these companies and everything mixed up. They, these companies—they're good at their advertising. That name recognition, but yeah. So the plastic storage bags, like freezer bags, <laughs> um, 
this is a re like a washable replaceable option for that um i'm really trying to think of any item any way i can contribute to this conversation of something that i've gotten that's a more sustainable option or i'm trying to think what i'm gonna run out of this week well do you have like a reusable water bottle yes do you have reusable totes for groceries yes do you have a travel mug of any kind yes see you're good you got plenty of more sustainable <laughs> choices <laughs> But like those well, usually are right. <laughs> perfect environmentalist. <laughs> right. But those are usually the ones that people go for earliest because it's like it's cheaper than buying plastic water everywhere. Um, plastic water, plastic water bottles <laughs> everywhere. Um, it's nice because you always have it on you. Tote bags, a lot of states are banning plastic bags like we've talked about. So like that makes sense. And that's been trending for like 15 years, like bring your own reusable bags to the grocery store. So yeah, like I, those things make a lot of sense. And now it's just like, okay, what else? Like what else could be a little more sustainable in my life or a little bit less wasteful? Um, right. Which could be tricky, but that's why it's a challenge. <laughs> um, like, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I haven't thought of anything I'm running low on. Um, oh, but like other examples are like, like skincare, hair care products. Um, I've tried them. I'm not a huge fan of shampoo bars and conditioner bars unless I'm traveling. Cause that's super nice for traveling. Cause they're not liquids and it lasts way longer than the little teeny, teeny thing you can take on the plane. Oh, that's um, funny. But day to day, I prefer liquid shampoo and conditioner. Um, there are companies where you can like get a product from them and like mail back the container and they refill it or send you a refill already. Um, there's companies that send you dish soap and milk cartons instead of plastic. There's companies that send you like foaming hand soap in a little tablet and you do the water yourself at home because those things are mostly just water anyway. Like it definitely takes a level of research, um, but there's, it's becoming cooler and cooler to be more sustainable and more low waste. So more and more companies are popping up to do stuff like that. Yeah. A lot of that stuff I've never heard of. Um, so this is definitely a good two week challenge because definitely going to have to read up on it a little bit before I even think about going to the store. So I did want to share my friend Kay Marie Z messaged me. Thank you, Kami. She listens to the show and she heard our conversation about laundry and lint rollers and cats and she got a kitten. <laughs> so exciting. And she said, I'm going to order two different kinds of reusable lint rollers. Can I tell you what I think? And I was like, of course. Um, so she got one from Amazon. Um, it's called Be Forever Furless. So that sounds promising. And she said that it's her preference. Um, she says it's super portable. She can put it in her purse. It's good on pretty much all fabrics. Uh, the cat seemed to think it was a brush. So that was like the cat <laughs> even approved. And um, so she really liked that. The other one she tried was also off of Amazon. Um, but it's the, the Forever Furless was plastic. Um, the other one was made out of metal. 
and um, it was cheaper and not plastic. But then she said it's also a sweater shaver, which basically means it's removing the hair by taking a micro layer of fabric with it. When tested on my leggings as a fabric shaver, it did not remove pills, but caused more. Definitely would not use this on my clothes. It was great oh. for durable fabrics like my cat bed and my mother-in-law's old cat tree, which had a ton of hair. Um, it looked far better after. It could be good for things like the rugs or maybe a couch. So thank you, Hey Marie. That was super helpful because, you know, this is something that me, like, I might need to invest in <laughs> when I'm out <laughs> of lint roller sheets. So that's just another example of uh, replacement. And now we can all have like some perspective from a tried and true option. Yeah, that's like a that's a good review. That's interesting because I I guess I do lint roll quite a bit. I've got a very fluffy gray cat, and so that's just it shows on black, it shows on white, mm-hmm. shows everywhere. I'm gonna look at my shopping list for this this week, and I'm gonna see what I can do because now I'm even thinking like is coffee that comes in a canister more sustainable than coffee that comes in a bag? Like, I mean, there's a million other things to look into. There's a plastic lid, fair trade, like whatever. There are a million other issues with coffee, but is it better to get a big can of it as opposed to bag? Right. A small bag. Probably. Probably. All right. So that wraps up for this week. We will talk to you again in our next episode, episode nine, which is going to come out on August 1st since we're skipping a week. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you liked us or I don't know, maybe if you didn't like us, leave a review. Let us know. We'll change our whole personalities just to please you. So true. (laughs) You can also email us if you have any questions. Tweet us if you have any thoughts. That's currentclimatepodcast at gmail.com or our username on Twitter is currentclimate underscore. I believe it's called a Twitter handle. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank God you're here because <laughs> I, I didn't know, know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like my username for AIM Messenger. And if you want to hit us up on AIM, it's Clever Kitty 13, Clever with a K. <laughs> feel, free to, um, feel free to instant message me unless my away message is up. <laughs> my username is SammyCatX15. Feel free to reach out. <laughs> Bye. Bye.